Well, good morning. Once again, it's a pleasure to be here in Longview, Texas. Uh, I come from Abilene Christian University, where I serve on faculty and in the ministration there. And it's a great joy when I get the opportunity to come to places across Texas and across the country uh, to worship with God's people. And it's, so it's just, a, I want to say thank you for allowing me to come and be a part of the congregation here these past two weeks here at Pine Tree. I'm really excited about the work that Phil Ware is doing with you and others. Uh, I know that uh, transitions for ministers is, a, is a, an uneasy time. I do a lot of that work myself with churches across the country. But what Phil was saying a few moments ago to you is so spot on. To be praying for the person that God is bringing to Pine Tree, and we don't know the timing of that, but God's timing is good. We can trust in God's timing. But to be praying for that, and secondly, to be praying for ourselves. What is it that God is teaching us during this time? Not, who's, not what God's teaching the person next to you in the, in the pew, but what is he teaching me? Uh, is such an important thing. And so I commend to you uh, what, uh, what Phil is saying, and I know he's excited to be back with you again this coming Sunday. Well, I, I preached out of uh, 2 Corinthians last week. I thought, well, let's just stay right in 2 Corinthians. I moved over a chapter, chapter 5, and there's this wonderful text that's there, and I want us to think about it. But I, I think the place we've got to get, begin is with the idea of how easy it is for us to forget stuff. In fact, I asked my wife Vicky a few days ago. I said, "I'm going to. I need tell me sometime when I have forgotten something." And uh, boy, it didn't take her long to come up with some things. She said, "Well, why don't you talk about uh, your forgetfulness around boats?" And I said, "Oh, you mean the time many years ago when we had a 15-foot sailboat? It's called a snipe. If anybody's into sailing, you might remember the snipe. It's uh, back in the '60s, an old boat, old boat." And we were just married, this is some 30 years ago, and uh, we uh, had taken the boat with us on vacation to a large lake in Kentucky, uh, and I'd launched the boat, we were bringing it in and out on the shore, it was just a small boat, but if you know about sailboats, you have to have a keel or a centerboard, or in, a, in the case of a snipe, it's called a dagger board, that once you got away from shore, you would drop that steel sheet of me- this metallic uh, dagger down that would help create a, a counterbalance to the pressure of the wind. Well, the, the dagger board, you, you drop it in and you can pull it back out and it, it will disappear if you capsize a boat. And so you've got to remember to strap it in once you get offshore. But in the minute, in the moment of being just off the shore in water deep enough to, uh, to drop that, my sailing buddy, Vince, uh, was not exactly new, was, was new to sailing, and in the chaos of all that, the wind topped us over, and in 90 feet of water, I saw this beautiful aluminum steel dagger board go sailing down to the deep depths of the lake. I forgot something in the moment of chaos. And I said, that's what you're talking about, right, Vicki? She says, no, 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 I'm not talking about that forgetfulness. I'm talking about the time you and my daddy forgot to put the plug into the 20-foot uh, uh, runabout uh, that we had when we had decided to take it out one Thanksgiving day in Ohio. It was cold, and we'd forgot to put the plug in the boat. We launched the boat, and I said, hey, it's looking like there's water on the floor. 
And uh, I had to go swimming in uh, Thanksgiving weather <coughs> to get the plug in in time. Uh, but, but perhaps you've forgotten something, too, uh, like I did just yesterday. We got here last night, and I forgot to bring my shirt in from the truck and had to go out this morning early and retrieve my dress shirt. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have forgot something as well in, in, your, in your doings and your comings and goings. And I say all that to say that we're living in a day and age when it's very, very easy for us as Christian people to forget something. And the thing that we can so easily, easily forget in the midst of all of what the media is saying about politics and the election and in the midst of all of the senseless violence that seems to show up almost every week, last week we were talking about Dallas, this week we're talking about Nice, France, and that in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, it can be very easy for us to forget something very central to our identity as Christian people. And when we forget that, stupid things begin to happen, like losing dagger boards or forgetting to put plugs into boats or forgetting to bring in our shirt, or as Christian people, we can lose our sense of identity and begin acting like non-Christian people. Because Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this core notion, it's actually just before the reading, though we're headed toward what was read for us a few moments ago, for the love of Christ urges us on because we're convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for the him who died and was raised for them. That's why we regard Jesus Christ no longer in a human or worldly point of view. There is something foundational to our life as Christian people that we can forget very easily in the commotion and the craziness of our context today. It's why we come to church every Sunday. We take bread and the fruit of the vine to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord because we can forget. We can forget what gives us our sense of identity. And nowhere is that more critical for us as Christian people than to remember our identity in the midst of all that's going on in our lives, why we've got to be reminded, as we are this morning in this text, that we were buried with Jesus Christ in baptism, we died to ourselves, and we're living a new kind of life. We're being reminded in this text this morning of the day when we got wet in the waters of baptism. And because of that, we've got a new set of insights about how we see human beings. Uh, just like Paul says here, that uh, because of what has happened in Jesus Christ, we no longer look at things in a worldly sort of way. Even though he said, I used to look at Jesus that way. You know, early in Paul's life, uh, before he had that experience with Jesus on the road to, to Matt on the road to Damascus, he perhaps saw Jesus as an interloper or someone who'd caused a great deal of harm to the Jewish faith or a host of other ways. But because of the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us through the cross, Paul comes to see Jesus in a non-worldly sort of way. He alters our insights. He gives us a new way of thinking about things. Is it interesting to think about what it's like to see another human being, not in the way that worldly 
uh, perspectives are seen or observed, but through the lens of Jesus Christ. That when I look upon another person, I'm not seeing them as an enemy. I'm not seeing them as the other. I'm not seeing them as a clerk at the grocery store or someone who uh, waits on me in a restaurant. I see them through the lens of Jesus Christ as a son or daughter of God's. An altering sort of insight begins to happen when I remember the core truth of the gospel, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died, and now we live for the one who died for us. That's why Paul has this amazing insight that changes the way he sees everything. I remember when our four children were young, they would often come to their mother and say uh, at, a, at, a, at a party or something, how many cookies can I have? How many cookies can I have? Well, they learned not to go to mom anymore because she would always say, or maybe. And what I would say, they'd come to me, and I'd say, just have one less than will make you sick. <laughs> one less than will make you sick. That was a whole new way of seeing the world for our children. They still talk about that. Well, through the work of Jesus Christ, the world has changed. There's a new way of seeing others. We see others not as the other, but as Jesus sees them, through the heart and love of Jesus Christ. Not only that, Paul says, not only we have this new sense of insight, but we, we have this new creation. There's been something marvelous that's happened. In fact, he, he is beside himself with words here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna point, I want to point this out quite closely. He says, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, there is a new creation. You see that in verse 17? That's not a very good translation. In fact, if we were to do it literally, he would say, he says it this way. If, if in Christ, new creation. He, he doesn't even use verbs. He's, he's just amazed at the reality that the reality of being in Jesus Christ through the practice of baptism, we come to be completely new. Completely born afresh, a new creation, voila, new creation by the work of Jesus Christ. Let me get at it another way. Uh, in Greek, I, I, I apologize for doing a little nerdy stuff here about uh, the New Testament, but in the Greek, there are two words for new. One is neos, and it's the sort of new that happens when you go to Target and buy a new shirt. Or you uh, buy a new pickup truck at the dealership. Or you buy a new lawnmower or a new dress. It's new, it's, but it's only new in the sense that it's new to you. There are a lot of other dresses out there. There are a lot of other DVDs or watches or whatever it is that you're buying. And you know what? After you drive that pickup truck for about a year, what happens? It ain't new no more. It's got some dents by the turkey who parked next to you at the restaurant, right? And you put miles on it, and the newness fades away. There is that kind of newness, neos, in the Greek, but that's not the new that is used in this text. He uses another word for new here. It's the word kainos. Kainos means one of a kind, never to happen again. It, it's new in the sense that there's not anything quite like it out there at all. It's kainos new, 
We are new creations because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Not new like you went and just got a new shirt out of the closet. No, this is a kind of new that alters the world and alters our perspective about the world. When I was a little boy, my dad loved to trade guitars. Uh, Every six months or so, he'd take his guitar down to the local music shop where they'd swap guitars and he'd come home with another one. One day, I was with him on this day, I was very young, but I remember it uh, very profoundly. He walked in and there hanging on the wall was a guitar like no one had ever seen before, that we had ever seen before. It was, come to find out, a 1929 National Resonating Tricone tricone, <laughs> tricone Resonating Guitar. It, it, there was only a very few built in the late 1920s like it. It was made out of stainless steel, all stainless steel. It was etched with rose, a rose pattern on the back. It was a beautiful, beautiful guitar. It's the sort of thing that you play steel grass or bluegrass or a dobro guitar kind of music. And my dad fell in love with it. He took his old electric guitar and amp and all that stuff and traded all in on that guitar and never, ever went back to the music store to trade guitars throughout his whole life other than to get new strings now and then. Uh, my dad's long gone, and that guitar came to me. He, he owned that guitar for 40 years or more. It changed everything because he found something that was a one-of-a-kind reality. Church, when, Jesus, when Paul says that in Jesus Christ, people are new creations, one-of-a-kind kinds of things, he's saying something quite amazing that alters our world, and we ought not forget it in terms of how we relate to one another. Uh, And in this new creation that has occurred, in this newness that happens, something has been given to us that we've been given the opportunity to speak of this, this reality of God's work in the world, that this new creation business is something that we get to bear witness to, that God is working transformatively in our world to change everything there is. That in fact, uh, that, there, that what's happened in this is, is so amazing that you and I, are, uh, been, we've been reconciled to God. That, that it's, it's something that's already happened. It's not that we can hope for, or we kind of walk into the throne room of God and say, well, God, uh, if I do X, then maybe you'll do Y, and then I'll do Z, and maybe we can negotiate a relationship with each other. That's not what's happening here. Nor is it the sort of thing where we crawl in on our hands and knees and say, Lord, I've really screwed up, I've really messed up, but please, please, please be merciful to me. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is before we ever woke up or recognized it at all, you and I have been reconciled to God by his desire and action. Without any work on our part, God has acted decisively. That in Jesus Christ, God has reconciled the whole world. The question is not will God love us, but will we accept God's love? I remember very distinctly that was the conversation I had with a woman by the name of Darla many years ago. 
Darla kept beating her. And I'm saying this, I'm going to tell this story because there's some folks in this room this morning who need to hear this story. And so if you don't need to hear this story, just check out for a moment, okay? But some of you need to hear this story. I kept talking to Darla. Darla, Darla kept saying to me, I'm not worthy of what God has done. And as I got to know Darla, there were lots of things in her life that were things that she was not proud of, and I understood that. She, she had to live a very promiscuous life. There had been an abortion in her past, a failed marriage in her past, drug use in her past, partying lifestyle that had taken her all kinds of bad places in town in her past. I, underst- I, I got that. But it was not until Darla could finally say, it's not about my worthiness or my unworthiness that's the issue, but rather whether I am willing to say yes to the amazing love of God that her life began to change. That's what it means for us to be bearers of reconciliation, that we are the ones who carry the message that God has already acted decisively for us on our behalf. Our task is simply to say yes to God. Because there's nothing that we can bring to the cross. uh, Nothing that we can bring to God that somehow or another makes us worthy of this great love that God has shared for us. We must not forget that. It is God's action that saves and delivers us. And in so doing, we live transformed kinds of lives. Now, some of you, others of you here this morning are saying, that's all well and good, Carson, but that God's doing this great work, he's reconciling the world to himself, but then what about Nice? What about the stuff that happens in France? What about cancer? What about this or what about that? We all can cite things that would demonstrate that perhaps uh, that maybe this notion about God reconciling himself to the world hasn't really took. And I want to say, you're right. And now I have to tell you that there's something about Uh, this whole business of what God's up to, a theological reality that we've got to get our heads around. And if I were to give you a short word for it, or a short phrase for it, it would be, already, but not yet. We live in a world where God is and has worked out his transforming, reconciling work uh, to completion, and yet we live in an environment where we don't see it fully yet. Let me try to point it out this way. Some years ago, I read a story about a young 12-year-old girl named Josie who was born deaf. Uh, And so all of her first 12 years of her life, she lived without being able to hear until one day, stupendously, she received a cochlear implant that allowed for her to hear for the first time. And her mother writes about this. She says it was Christmas time. The first thing that Josie heard were, was jingle bells playing on the radio. Da, 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 da. It was amazing. Her eyes lit up. And, uh, and, and she goes on to say that in one sense, Josie was able to hear in that moment. She was. She was truly able to hear. But the reality, other reality was that she didn't know what anything meant. She had no idea that doors made noises when you open and close them. She had to learn all uh, for the very first time that when she flipped on a light switch in her room, she heard a slight hum in the room. She didn't know that her name had an S sound in the middle of it because S's are so soft that you don't hear them at all. 
In other words, Josie had to learn step by step what it meant to be able to hear. Just like you and I live in a world that step by step, by the witness of Christian people, have to learn what it looks like to live reconciled lives. Already, it's here, yes, but not yet. No, we're still trying to work it all out, what it looks like in this world and in our own lives and in the, in the lives of our congregations. Already, but not yet. And nonetheless, we have this call to be bearers of this message of reconciliation in life. And that's what I'm inviting you to remember this morning, not to forget the calling that we have as the people of God to be bearers of reconciliation, to see things with new insight, to perceive and recognize what it means to be recreated in the image of God, uh, a new creation. And when we remember and not forget then we're able to be bearers of that kind of message in our world, in a world that desperately needs to hear those kinds of things. Back during the Reagan administration, the Secretary of State at that time was George Shultz. He's still alive, by the way. I was checking on him just the other day. Uh, Shultz uh, did this thing when, uh, as a Secretary of State, when a new ambassador was appointed, he would meet with the new ambassador and have a little visit before he sent him off to whatever far-flung country of the earth uh, he was to represent the United States in. And as a joke, <clears throat> sort of, as a humorous thing, uh, there, was a, there was a large globe in Schultz's office. He would have the new ambassador walk over to the globe and, and he would say, now point out your country. And ambassador after ambassador would swing the globe around and find Cameroon or find Germany, or wherever the country that they were stationed to be at. Well, this all went along quite swimmingly <clears throat> until Mike Mansfield <clears throat> was appointed to be the ambassador to Japan. And Mansfield came in, they had the little visit, and so Schultz and Mansfield get up and they walk over to the globe there, and uh, <clears throat> Schultz says to Mansfield, now point out your country. Well, Mansfield swung the globe around, and when it came around to the United States, he pointed, stopped the globe, and said, that's my country. My country is the United States of America. Oh. And Schultz in that moment said, you're absolutely right. That's who you are. That's your identity. And from that time on, he altered his little speech that he made the new ambassadors to point out that their task was to represent the United States. That was their identity. And this morning, our exercise as we reflected on this text is to point out to all of us that for us not to forget our identity. That in the chaos of the moment, as the sailboat is flopping all around, not to forget our identity. Or in that moment, on a cold day, when we're trying to get something complex to happen and launch a boat, not to forget to put in the plug. That in the midst of our living of our days and our lives, not to forget that at the heart of who we are is to be ambassador for the one who died for all. And because he died for all, we live for him and not for ourselves. That we not forget that we see people through the lens of Jesus Christ that God is remaking the world, that he has called us to be ambassadors, to bear the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation, we must not, cannot forget our identity 
And that, church, is what I invite you to remember this morning. I'd like to offer a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing the song that Jim has for us. Would you bow, please? Lord God, today we ask that you would remind us of our core story, that one has died, died for all, and that now we live for him, that we see the world through a new set of lenses, no longer in a worldly sort of way, but we see each other because of who and who Jesus is and what he has done for us and for the world. Help us to see people as new creation, to see possibilities. Remind us this morning of the, of the transforming work of your love, that you've reconciled yourself to us. And even this morning, there are persons here in this room who need to hear perhaps anew and afresh of your transforming love that welcomes them no matter what our past holds, but because of what you have done, all has been made well. And most of all, Lord, this morning, help us to be bearers of reconciliation. Remind us that we are ambassadors for you in this world that is deeply troubled. May our witness, both individually and as a community of faith here in Longview, be one that bears witness to your truth and to your love. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. Jim, let's sing. He leadeth me.